The following program is paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4. Every weekday, News Radio 1240 KQEN brings you local information at 4 o'clock. Now, True Wealth, presented by Little John Financial Services. Here are David Littlejohn and Katie Shook with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. I push the buttons. <laughs> you know what I keep hearing in my head? All right, all right, all right. <laughs> all right, it's time for the True Wealth Show. Welcome, everybody. This is your host, Dave Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. And we are here to have some good, clean family fun, or at least family fun. So, really quick, speaking of good, clean family fun we took our family down to the um down to grants pass to the rogue river jet boats and had probably the best river pilot i think i've had ever he was amazing his name was johnny i want to give him a little bit of a shout out but i laughed because every time he was about to do a duck dive or a spin he'd go all right all right all right and i just heard matthew mcconaughey in my head every I single think time you just doing have it. a crush on matthew mcconaughey he's kind of adorable i do a little bit not so. gonna lie but you know. it cracked me up. So then Melissa, who was sitting next to me, my six-year-old, kept saying, um, she kept going, all right, all right, all right. Like, she kept wanting him to say it so that he would spin and splash us. So it was, uh, speaking it of good, almost every single time, <laughs> the best part was the guy in the front row who didn't want to get his hair messed up. Yeah, so uh, our wonderful river pilot said, I've never seen a guy not want to get his hair. Like, he kept trying to pull his jacket over his head so that he wouldn't get his hair messed up. And he had, like, really thick curly hair to where I don't think water would mess it up. Like, it, you know, I don't think his hair naturally moves ever anyway. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like, just no, the thick, maybe. mass amounts of hair. But it was cracking me up. So I think it was his personal mission to see how much he could, like, just drench this guy we took the most awesome picture it's on my facebook page and i called it wall of water and you just see literally this wall of water coming up over the edge of the boat i mean he got waterfalled on like multiple times it was the most amazing rogue river jet boats through hell's gate they're awesome so good clean family fun there you go that's my little story for today <laughs> nice okay well uh excellent so <laughs> now that we've had the promo of a business out of town <laughs> right <laughs> good job <laughs> you know, hey, also, a shout out to to keeping it local, right? Right. Uh, well, well, no, but it is still local. It's still in Oregon. It's enjoying all that Oregon has to give. So, and summer is all about true wealth moments with your family and getting out a little bit. I know. So we're going to talk true wealth today in a sense we haven't done in a while. Uh, and what I want to talk today about is this concept of is the American dream dead? Ooh, good topic. Right? Is the American dream dead? And I'm going to make a case that I don't think it has to be, but it turns out in order to live the American dream, first it's like anything, we're going to have to define it a little bit. Okay. And let's figure out how you get there. I think it's different, but I don't think it's dead. Well, uh, yes. And so we're going to, we'll, we'll explore that. But first, Katie, I understand the markets are remarkable. <gasps> they are at all time highs again. That is so exciting because I feel like we've been fighting it all year. Yes. And the answer actually is, believe it or not, people, we totally have been fighting it all year. Uh, the markets are very interesting. I've been pulling up some data of my own on a little bit of a quest here, right? So uh, first, can you give us just where, where are we at market-wise? 
So where we're at, the S&P today closed at 3,004, um, hit all-time highs yesterday um, at 3017. Uh, the Dow Jones closed today at 27,335, so 27,335. All-time highs today at 27,398. And the NASDAQ closed at 82.22 at all-time highs yesterday of 82.64. So all-time highs either yesterday or today with all three different markets. Um, and they're just pushing. They're pushing through that glass ceiling. They're trying to increase. So, David, yeah. what do you think is driving this power push up? Haha. <laughs> so this is the real key. I don't think it's really a power push at all. I, in fact, I think that the markets are really sneaky right now. Sneaky? How so? Sneaky. Well, here's the thing. Let's let's t look at year-to-date numbers, and I'm just pulling from Yahoo Finance right now. Anybody who wants to go check these. So, if you looked at the S&P 500 year-to-date, okay, okay, right. How uh, how much has been earned? How much has been earned? But like, what what's the S&P return so far year-to-date? I don't think my numbers are right because I think I pulled the wrong chart. What are they? Nineteen point eight percent. What? No. Yep. Now, I'm, don't worry. I'll explain it. Wait, how much, year to date, we're up 19% in the S&P. Year to date, from January 1 to present, how much has the S&P gone up in value? 19.8%. How much has the Dow gone up? I'm guessing a little more than that. Uh, not quite. Not quite? 18%? Dow is up 17.2. Okay. And what about the NASDAQ? NASDAQ, oh, let me grab it. Click. That, that 23.93. Wow. Year to date. Like if you invested January 1st, you would be up like 20% returns almost. Correct. Now, here's. I don't feel like that's the whole story. <laughs> Maybe not. Okay. So let's explain because people are going, wait a minute. If my account's supposed to be doing that, then why am I not so, doing so that? So first, I want to, I'm looking up. Um, uh, one second here. So I just want to say on that uh, note, on the markets being up, you know, most people didn't walk into our office January 1st and start their account oh, as don't of worry. January 1st. So, so let's, here's the game. Let's look at it this way. So if the S&P 500 is our favorite, or even in the Dow, so the Dow's up, let's pick the Dow, everybody loves to use the Dow, but it's the lower performer, right? The Dow is just over 18 or 17% for the year. Okay. The S&P is almost 20, 19.83% for the year. And then the NASDAQ is 23.93 for the year. So where is the... Uh, where where's a bond index for the year? So right now, one of the the common, the Pimco Total Return Bond Fund. Okay, so this okay. is like the largest fixed income fund in the world. How much is it up for the year? No idea, three, but you're going to tell me. Three point nine three percent. What? A bond is up three point nine. Bond fund is up three point nine three percent. Now, I could go pull up the ten year Treasury on top of this. Uh, haven't, but if we were to, let's say, 10-year treasury. I want to find this guy real quick. Okay, so the U.S. 10. All right, well, let me add this thing to it. 
and we'll put this one it's a yellow oh my gosh is it even on the chart uh think I've run out of space on this particular chart. I'll take the Dow off for a minute and then we'll go look at <laughs> good old technology, right? Like just right. trying to figure out where everything is. I just want to get the 10 year. Oh, that's the futures. That's why. Um, but 10 year treasury, it's, it's up for the year as well. Okay. But, but that's the, the, the reason this is interesting is, you know, most investors don't, uh, don't invest necessarily in the in the S&P 500 for example they invest it's an in index a, a, they a invest in stuff that's in the S&P 500 right but. so i'm looking for one other while we said here you tap dance i'm going to figure out <laughs> one other fun one here another fun one yeah. well it's it Got has it. been interesting because the markets did dip down over the last few months and then turn around and went back up. So people are like, oh, okay. wait, I should have all these earnings. And it's like, well, so, yeah, but it went down to go up. So you're yeah. kind of at where you were. Here, so here's your story. And I'll tell you why I'm, I'm giving everybody this information. In fact, this is something that's valuable enough, I would tell you, go to our webpage at littlejohnfs.com. Sign up for our newsletter because I am publishing some of this. And I'm going to include some of the charts to give you context. Uh, it's probably not going to be till the end of the week or early next week, just because of the bandwidth I have to get this produced. But it's you know, I would we're, say we're it's midway. for the amount of information that's actually in there. I mean, this isn't like a hey guys, this is what's happening. This is no. a like formal white paper on what yeah, the markets the, are doing. This is right a white now. paper on an explanation of the markets, and I'm going to try to summarize it on our show real quickly here. If the uh, the Dow is the underperformer at just over 17% for the year, the S&P is almost 20%, and the Nasdaq is almost 24%, uh, the interesting thing is there you could look at a blended index. Okay, So the Vanguard uh, 60-40 index, which is their balanced fund index, it's supposed to be 60% stocks, 40% fixed income. Okay, Year-to-date numbers on the Vanguard fund, uh, and they haven't published today's yet, but 13 and a quarter. So really good return still for blended well thirteen percent year year to date, right? And then the S and P six hundred, nobody talks about that one, do they? No, and you said that the other day, and I was like, wait, what? There's a six hundred? There's an S and P six hundred. So is that the five hundred plus? Nope. No, it's a totally different market. Six hundred small stocks. What? Not the at large stocks. It's a different index. It's the small cap index. Year to date numbers on that one. 12.22. Okay. So the small caps aren't raising it as much as the large not, caps. Not much at all. In fact, uh, they hit their highs back in May. They have not achieved new highs since May. And can you explain to our listeners what the difference is between a small cap and a large cap stock? Because that yeah. was new to me, too, working in this industry. I had no idea. Yeah, cap stands for capitalization. Okay. So think of it this way. A company has a certain number of shares outstanding, and there's a value per share. And if you multiply, so if I have a, a million shares outstanding and each share costs a dollar, I have a market capitalization of $1 million, right? If I have a million shares outstanding and $10 a share, I have a $10 million market capitalization. Okay. Okay. So small cap stocks, usually there's a gradient depending, but they're somewhere between 2 and $5 billion or less. So, Okay. So they're and so mid cap stocks can also float somewhere, usually between two and ten billion or so. And if it's bigger than a ten billion dollar company, it's usually considered a large cap. B billion with a B. With people, a B, not with an M. Right. Yeah. So, 
and then most most businesses are much much smaller than that and they're not publicly traded either right there's a lot more small business that's not available for public purchase so are the mid cap stocks in the small cap market or like I mean, what happens to the mid they ones? are their own the, the, the mid cap stocks are somewhere in between but here's the story that I've I, I, I'm, I'm painting a picture for you we're running long on this segment here so do we do we just push through and finish on the flip side or do we take a break how quickly can you paint I can paint quickly here. okay so we'll paint quickly the idea is if people are nervous okay first of all if fixed income is terrible meaning yields are super low. Right now, yields on 10-year Treasury are, are creeping down toward 2% right now. That's 10 years, people. You can get a six-month CD, or you can get a online savings account right now For that than will that. pay you more than a 10-year Treasury. So what does that mean? Well, this is what's called a yield curve inversion. When the short-term rates are higher than the long-term, long-term rates, rates. Yep. you have an inversion. The entire curve is not inverted, but the short end of the curve, or that, and the short end means the stuff that's maturing soon, right? That stuff has a higher yield on it than the stuff that's ret- that's pushed out a ways. So it's not maturing as soon. If you think about that, that's very unnatural. Right. Because as investors, you, you should pay- earn more over time, not in the short term. It, well, it's, this is a risk issue right it's it's a higher risk to wait to get your money paid back to you and you expect to be compensated for that risk so what does it say if the longer term play is considered safer than the short term play oh that's interesting yeah and that's the real tell on this one so uh, all right we're long enough i'm gonna hang i'm gonna cliffhang you on this one we have a yield curve what does this mean and what's the stock market telling us We'll cover that, and then we'll get on to the American dream right after these very important messages from <laughs> whomever they are. All right, this is David Littlejohn and Katie Shuck at True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. I feel like we got an extra guitar in that intro. It was like, rawr. wait, rawr, rawr. yes, I think it was. It was a Pulling an Aerosmith, you know, a double hit on the sampler. <laughs> Rocking that bad boy. Nice. So here we go. Uh, you're, if you're just joining us, we're giving you some a tie-in to the markets at large and what's going on. We have uh, today. We're talking. I, I'm just giving you since the markets are all time highs. I want to give you a little bit of a. Here's what Dave thinks is going on. Maybe I'm wrong. A little backstory, right? But I'm trying to fit this all together, and I'm encouraging you. I'm going to have a a white paper on this that lays out some of the data if you want to follow through it. Uh, go to our website at littlejohnfs.com and sign up to join our newsletter if you'd like to receive this. Uh, and and then I promise we'll get to some fun stuff too about whether or not the American dream is still possible. Ah, there but, you go. But first... You were uh, talking about an inverted curve. An inverted yield curve specifically. 
Okay. And that is, remember, yield is how we measure fixed income returns. If you were to go to a bank right now and you wanted to purchase a CD, you would say, well, how much is that CD going to pay me? And they say, well, you know, we have a three-month CD that pays this, and then we pay a six-month CD that pays this much more, and then we have a 12-month and maybe a two-year and a five-year and so forth. And what you would expect is the longer you tied up your money at the bank, the higher the interest you would be paid to do it. But that's not what's happening right now. That's not what's happening in the landscape at large. What you're seeing is that you're getting paid more in short-term instruments than long-term instruments. Now, what would cause that, or why would that be? Well, the idea... Because logically, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't, but the idea is that fixed income pricing is still built around supply and demand, right? Uh Yields are determined by supply and demand. And if people are seeking safety, then they will bid on long-term money as a way to protect its value. Right, I mean, so they will purchase an asset like a ten-year Treasury note because they expect that to help preserve the value of their money. Now, okay, if more people are willing to buy it than sell it, then the price goes up. If the price goes up, the yield goes down. Now, we've talked about that on the program before. How yield and price are inversely related when it comes yeah, to yeah, bonds fixed are income. backwards. Like and, it's a weird and thing. that relationship begins to decay the the closer the bond is to maturity. Right, because there's less risk as the bond gets close to maturity that you'll be paid your principal back. So the the yield is less dramatically affected by changes in price the closer it gets to maturity. Well, and you've already collected years of interest at that point, so there's like less to collect out of it too. Correct. So so that's just a function of the the risk is declining the closer you get to maturity, and so the sensitivity, which is also a term called duration in fixed income, is declining. Right. So, so bonds are something that were always really confusing to me and I didn't quite understand it. But what made sense to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, David, is is a bond is basically me lending my money to someone else, right? So I am the lender, I'm the bank. Yes. And I'm lending my money and you're agreeing to pay back my money with interest. Yes. So that's in essence what a bond is. So if you think about bonds that way, that's not the same as a stock. Yeah. Stock is I'm purchasing ownership in a company. Correct. So, yeah, when I purchase ownership in a company, I expect to be treated like an owner. If the company increases in value, so does my ownership stake. If the company has profits to be shared with its owners, I get a percentage of the profits. That's also what known div- as dividends. Right, that's right? a dividend. Uh, and so I get the same tax treatment as if I bought an asset because I am an owner in an asset. Where stocks are unique is that you have limited liability. If the company gets sued, you don't personally get sued for owning the stock. Right. So that's the nature of public ownership, and that's what it means to be in the stock market and own stocks. Bonds are different. Bonds are a commitment from that organization. And I say organization because you can buy government bonds, but you can also buy corporate bonds. You can right. go to Apple, wants to take out a loan. They go to you and say, hey, would you like to buy bonds from us? We will commit to paying these terms. If you agree to the terms, then you're loaning your money to Apple. Right. Now, now you don't why have wouldn't an- Apple just walk into a bank and say, hey, I want money? Uh, they they may be able to, but they may be able to get better terms with their own credit rating than from a bank. Oh, there you go. So, and they may want to raise more money than that. You know, when you want to raise billions of dollars, banks sometimes go. Mm. <laughs> That's so, our whole organization. So, Hold on. Yeah. So you go direct <laughs> to the consumer in that case. Um, okay. So, I just wanted to clarify for our listeners because I know that bonds were always confusing to me, and and I wanted it explained in a way that made sense to them. Right. So if you've got this short-term inverted yield curve, and really what I believe it's telling us is that the 
idea that there's going to be significant inflation or erosion in future purchasing power Ugh. is pretty low right now. That's what the market's sort of forecasting is, well, let's tie up the money for 10 years because we don't think we'll lose a lot of purchasing power and we don't need to be compensated a lot for tying the money up. That's essentially what's going on. But in reality, it's a supply and demand function. More people are looking for safety. Right now. So they're paying for bonds. And by paying up to get these bonds, they are driving the yields down. Now, it may not just be American consumers. This can also be foreign governments and so forth. A lot of uh, foreign governments use our treasury market as a way to uh, sort of moderate some of their their own currency risk. Right. So whatever they're not allowed to play in our pool. No, I'm just kidding. They, <laughs> they definitely are. They, they are, and it's okay. <laughs> and they will do so, it. So, <laughs> if you've got a scenario where the yield curve's inverted, and then we look at what the stock markets have done, where we've seen the S and P 500 go up, but the S and P 600 has not. I mean, it's gone up, but not nearly as much. I mean, half the the recovery or half the returns for the year of the S and P pretty or almost. You know, so it's 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 significantly less, right? And then you look at a blended portfolio of both stocks and bonds, and it's gone up uh, significantly less as well. You know, thirteen percent year to date, twelve percent year to date for uh, so twelve percent for the S and P six hundred, about thirteen percent for uh, Vanguard blended index, and then the S and P is up close to twenty. Uh, Dow's at uh, over seventeen. Nasdaq's almost twenty four percent year to date. So what does this tell us? Well, a couple things. First of all, Katie. Yes. Question for you. Ooh, I like questions. What do you think is a riskier stock to invest in, a small company or a big company? I would think a small company would be riskier. Why do you think that is? Because I feel like if it's a bigger company, it could still cut off divisions if it had to and still be functioning versus a smaller company, I feel like, is spread a little bit thinner. Um, and if they had a catastrophic event, may not recover as quickly or as easily. The market agrees with you, Katie. Oh, see? Yes. So I know a few things. <laughs> traditionally speaking, smaller companies are considered higher risk than bigger companies. Smaller companies are also acquisition targets. They tend to be companies that become big, bigger. And so they are... Well, they get acquired by bigger. They, they, they do get acquired. So if we think about it as market compensates you for taking risk over time, a higher risk company, you would expect a higher return. Right. But we know in the short term, the market determines price by supply and demand. Why would there be more demand for large companies than small companies? Why? Because there's probably less of them. No? No. Why would be... why? Okay, so again, why would there be more demand for... And I'll encourage you here, don't overthink this. Why would there be more demand for large companies than small companies? And think about, we just talked about small companies are considered riskier than large companies. So they're just safer. Right. They're safer investments because people think they trust their brands more often. So if the yield has been driven down to the point that it's unattractive in the 10-year treasury or in fixed income in general, then what you do if you're looking for yield is you go to the next lowest risk category you can find, which is large dividend-paying stocks. Oh. And... It turns out the S&P 500 is a cap-weighted index, meaning the bigger stocks get a heavier weighting in the index. Yeah, they're not all they're not all equal. 
Yeah. Right? It's not a pie. Everybody doesn't get the same right. slice. In fact, the top 10 stocks in the S&P 500 represent, at last I checked, just over 21% of the total market cap of the index. So if you guys think about the S&P 500, kind of like the map of the U.S., right? Like right. Alaska's huge, Texas is huge, Rhode Island, itty bitty. Yes. Right. And so if you think about, I know it's kind of a weird. It's all the United States, but actually the geography of the United States is gobbled up by just a handful of states. Right. Like if you if you look at the actual square footage, you know, or square miles or whatever of each state. Right. Some of them have a bigger portion. And the S&P 500 is kind of the same way. The top big players are like Texas and Alaska. And then you get some other little guys that are still in there, but they're like Rhode Island and Hawaii. Yeah. In a sense, that's what's going on. And so. What what we're seeing for the these indexes, not all 500 stocks have been successful in the S&P 500, but because the bigger stocks, which represent a larger portion of the index, are doing well, it gives the appearance that the entire market is doing well, because that's what people do. They associate the market with the index. But the reality is that the index is heavily biased toward the large stocks, the same way that Technology is outperformed as a category, most other categories, and the NASDAQ is highly biased to technology. It's the outperforming index. So I share this because I think investors look at their statements and they say, well, the S&P is doing great. Why Why are we not not? doing as well? So, well, if you're invested in both stocks and bonds, large and small stocks, and domestic versus foreign stocks, so you're invested globally, not just in the United States, then this has been a very tricky year. And it's also very out of context because the fourth quarter last year was terrible. Oh, it was it was brutal. It was like I didn't want just, people to open their statements in January. Right. And January is when you do open your statement because you yeah. need all of your accounting for the year. So let me see if I can pull up uh, the specific time frame here because this is kind of fun. So if we look at the quarter from, I guess it would be, October, October, November, one, December. Right? So October first so through December thirty first, twenty eighteen. So I right. want to while you're getting that information, I want to remind our listeners of something. If you go in and talk to your investment advisor, and your goal for the year is to earn, let's say six to eight percent on your portfolio, and you earn that, be grateful. Like I think <laughs> the hard and the reason I say that is, like you know, sometimes we get in the like, well, he did better than I did. Why didn't I do that good? And it's like, well, your scenarios aren't the same. The situation's not the same. Um, And I think sometimes we get into a little bit of that, like keeping up with the Joneses, even when it comes to our portfolios, right? Well, like the S&P did that good. How come I didn't do that good? It's like, well, but you still made money and you, we still met the goals of whatever, you know, the portfolio is or whatever, kind of returns you're looking for. So, and I'm not saying that to be like mean about it. I'm just saying like, sometimes we need to remember that, um, you know, we can get excited about things in the short term, but how does this play out in our plan in the long term? And And I just want people to kind of keep that in mind. Like if you're, you know, we're all winning together, you're still winning. Like this isn't a you're losing thing. Yeah. If we look at this data, because I did pull it up for everybody. Cool. Uh, Remember the fourth quarter, how much did the S and P lose in the fourth quarter? Oh, I don't even. I don't even want to know. <laughs> uh, if I'm reading this measurement correctly, it lost just over fourteen percent. Uh, or, or no, I think that the Dow was down fourteen. S and P sixteen point seven. Uh, Nasdaq eighteen point one. That's just in one quarter. Uh, the blended index, the Vanguard index we talked about, was down eight point seven. 
and the S&P 600 was down 12 point. Maybe the S&P is even more. Maybe that's what. what uh, so, but if the S&P 500 was down that much last quarter, then it basically is barely recovered. Yeah. From that point. And so, the trick is that when you measure after a giant drawdown like that. If you've lost 18% and then you you recover, so NASDAQ goes down 167 and then it recovers to go up 24%, it's about break even. It's made yeah. a little bit of money, but if you lose 10%, you need like 11 to make it back up. If you lose uh, 50%, you need to make 100%. Right, like because it's not equal numbers. It's not yeah. like, oh, I lost 50 bucks, so I need 50 exactly. bucks. Exactly, so like, the no. more you lose, the more it takes to climb out of the hole. And so the fourth quarter really wrecked everything. Uh, if we look at year-to-date numbers, okay, year-to-date, the S&P is 7.35%. Not year-to-date, but one year. So if we go back one year in history. So not just 2019, but go back in a, a year into 2018. Yeah, so from last the index July to now. Uh, if I'm reading correctly again, uh, nine, about 9%. The NASDAQ is up about a little over 5%. The 10-year is up about 3%. A, uh, your diversified strategy is up about 5%. The S&P 600, which was up 12%, it is still down 9%. What? Yeah, it's down 9% for year over year. So if you had small caps in your investment strategy, you really got hammered. And that is something that I will tell you when you talk to your financial advisor, if you find yourself saying, well, why are we more like the S&P 500? If you are, what it means is you may be indexing. Now, indexing is not bad, but indexing is a fairly straightforward, low-cost strategy, so you don't need to pay a premium for indexing. And if you didn't, then you need to. They, you know, your advisor needs to understand. Well, what's what's the dynamic of the market, and what is what has created this? Right. Okay. So that's the the real key to this one is that the markets are just uh, very fickle right now, and they are actually exhibiting a lot more characteristics of fear than people want to acknowledge. And and so in in responding to fear, money has migrated to safer asset classes. The risk asset classes are down. The non-risk or the less risky asset classes have been bid up, and so it gives the appearance that the market is what I believe healthier than it may actually be. Ah, and so, you're getting some unrealistic statistics. Well, that's just it. Is and what do you always say about statistics? Well, there's three <laughs> kinds of lies in the world, right? There's lies, there's damned lies, and there's statistics. So be <laughs> careful what your statistics are out there. Anyway, enough of the numbers, uh, mumbo, blah blah blah. Is this American dream dead or alive? Answer. Like modified. <laughs> after this break. Stick around. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. You got True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. All right, gang, and we're back. Yay. You can tell we're back because <laughs> it's not commercial time on the radio. Commercials are okay. 
Commercials are fine. Hey, commercials these are things important. don't pay for themselves. I mean, we got to, you know, everybody, you should you should pay attention to the sponsors and you should be, uh, you know, it's a good gig, right? So anyway, uh, so Katie, I was, I asked the loaded question, right? right? Is the American dream dead or alive? And I said, I think it's modified. <laughs> yep. And that's, so, that's my answer. I think it's modified. I don't think it's the same American dream that my grandparents had. I think it's different. Well, so tell me how you think it's different. Some of the things are similar, right? Like, I think the American tell dream. Tell me how you think it's different. I, but I can't explain how it's different until I explain how it's the same. Okay. So I think it's still the American dream to own a home, right? And have a good paying job. Um, or have a career and stuff like that. But I think it's different. Like there's a movement happening right now. And that's why I say I think it's different. Um, you know, people are talking about tiny houses and they're talking about, you know, it's not just living debt free, but it's it's not kind of being rooted down, right? Like, I mean, I think about like when I grew up and it's like, oh, we bought our family home and we stayed in our family home for 30 years and mom and dad are still there. And, um, and not me personally, but I mean, I'm just kind of, generationally saying and now i mean adults are moving around i feel like a lot more i don't feel like it's the same I, I just there's not as much weight in the home as it used to be you can correct me if i'm wrong it's just kind of what i've noticed well i have um, so this is the real trick i don't think that there's a right or wrong the american dream is uniquely personal agreed so well, and that's kind of why I said I think it's modified. So a little I bit. would maybe I'll phrase this differently. How can one live the American dream on the budget that you have to live on? Ooh. Now, now, what are we considering? The, what are we including in the American dream? What is the American dream to you? Well, uh, you know, my American dream is probably uniquely personal as well. For me, it was about the ability to start a business, to raise a family, to be a homeowner to be the one that made the decisions about how my time was allocated uh, at least to a certain extent uh, you know when you're a business the a business owner businesses tend to own you but uh, it was all of those were things that I wanted to be very intentional about in my life and it was something that it's been an evolutionary process you know as I've learned what I'm about then those things have changed and and so and as I've matured, right? My priorities today. When I was 18 years old, I wanted to make sure you could hear my stereo in the next state. Uh, today, that's not a, a priority. Important deal, yeah. dude. I would love it if you'd go thumping down the road in your caddy. That would be awesome. Like, oh, here comes Dave. Yeah. Although it would be talk radio, so it'd be very interesting. Yeah, <laughs> would well, not that's be the, the base. It's, it's really that it funny used to be how, when you were 18. <laughs> yeah, the priorities really change, but. Uh, so That's, I think, again, in part of the American dream, home ownership, I think, is part mm -hmm. of the American dream, right? You can move here, buy a home. Now, size of the home will vary. Location will vary, yeah. right? What you get so is all dependent. Here's what I think the basics of the American dream. I think what uh, the American dream is, I'd like to be able to have some of the things that um, are cool to me. I would like to not be beholden to somebody else and and I, I think it is I'd like to be able to enjoy life along the way to financial independence and I define financial independence as the point where your passive income exceeds your budgeted average your budgeted spending 
Oh, hey, and I like that one. So you have more money coming in than you have money yeah, going out. This is a really tangible definition, by the way. Yes. It is, I want you to, along the way to saving and building enough of an investment portfolio and nest egg between your pensions, your retirement plans, any rental portfolio, business ownership, and general savings that you have, those assets should be able to generate enough income that they can replace the income you need from working. Now, how does that happen? It starts by dreaded dun 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 budget, right? <laughs> you say it in a mean way. You know what? There can be a lot of freedom in your budget. When you actually get control of your spending, you may find that you have more money left over than you thought you did. I think some people are so afraid of it, they never start it in the first place. Well, or they view it as another set of rules. I know the free spirit is just, oh, I don't really want to be tied down by these rules. But the funny thing is that you tie yourself down by not making the commitments too. People don't think of it that way. They always think, well, these... If I do that, it just means I'm I'm tying myself down in commitments. No, no, no. You're no. tying yourself down with debt. Debt is like boat anchors. Like well, you carry around boat anchors. But if it's not debt, let's say, look, I only spend the money that's in my my pocket. One okay. of my favorite jokes, by the way, the difference between a drunken sailor and Congress is the drunken sailor will stop spending when they're out of money, <laughs> right? So the the that's the thing True though. Story. Is <laughs> if you think about. If you view your budget as just, well, once the money's gone, I won't, I can't spend anymore. Well, okay, but it's really short-sighted because then if you want something else, you don't ever position yourself to get there. So I'm in the process. I'm playing around with this. Here's what I'd really love. I'd love to get listener feedback. This is one of these where I'm going to invite you to just reach out to us, uh, probably best via email. But if you want to email to info at littlejohnfs.com and with what you think is, I'm curious, what's your American dream and how much money do you think it takes? But also, what are the things that you what what are the things that you'd like to be able to accomplish in the American dream? Now, some people, you, the temptation is to sort of troll this, right? I'm gonna well, you know, I want a million billion dollars, and I, well, that's great, and I'm not gonna say it's impossible because believe it or not, you're out there listening right now, if you want to become a billionaire in the you, United States. You can do it. It's actually possible. You may lose yourself in the process and discover that what you thought you wanted and what you really want are not, not the, the same, same thing. thing no. Or it may become all-consuming and you will lose yourself because that goal in and of itself will ruin all of the other things along the path of pursuit. Right? So, I, and I'm very aware that that's a danger in this country in this day and age is that people will uh, they will get singular in purpose and then they'll look back on their life and they'll feel really uh, a tremendous amount of regret for not living it more fully for certain things but uh, for all those people that say on their deathbed you know I, they, you never hear them say I wish I spent more time in the office no they uh, always say I wish I spent more time with my family or on vacation more time with family things like that but uh, you also hear people all the time say, I wish I knew now what I knew then or, or I wish I knew I, then what I, I know now. now. Yeah. Right? And this is your chance, right? This is your chance to do some things where you say, well, what would I really like to look back on my life and have it have been like? It's a really creepy thing, but this is pretty effective. If you had to picture yourself at your own funeral and people were ta talking about you, what do you want them to say? So I have a different fear. <laughs> It's not whether or not people would be talking about me, but it's how many, it's that nobody would show up. 
Like, you know, like it's you know that a person has done well in a community and is really loved when you go to their funeral and there's like a hundred people there or more. I mean, we've um, unfortunately attended a couple funerals where, you know, the church was packed and it wasn't a tiny church either, you know, and you just, and, and you sit there and, and even though you're sorrowful for the loss of that loved one or that person, the same time, I'm like, wow, they impacted all those lives. Like, that's amazing. Like, that's what I want out of that. Like I want to impact people um and know that i'm loved i think you know when you go to a funeral and there's like 10 people you know and they're going ah they were a mean old guy or something like that you're just like wow like well that (laughs) or you just outlived everybody (laughs) that that happens too well but hopefully again uh, there's family and children and other community members that are younger than you that you've influenced you know you didn't stay a hermit in your house for 30 years so anyways, so, that, that's kind of my thing is I just don't I, I think my biggest fear is showing up to like ha- showing up because ha-ha, I'll be there <laughs> maybe right. in body, but not in spirit. <laughs> but being there and not having anybody there, I think that's a that to yeah. me is I'm going to the put these fears at ease. You won't know the difference. <laughs> I know it's true. Right? OK, I will so, be looking down. OK, <laughs> okay. so but anyway, and you won't care at that point either. That's but, true. Uh, I'll be in so that's the place. good news. Uh, but but as, as you're talking about this, what I'm really talking about is this priority set. So as you're building your American dream, uh, there are a few things that I think most people have in common. Most people would like to be able to do some more recreation. Right. And then they would like to be able to have uh, usually it's something to akin to a place of their own. Okay, so there are th- there are two things in the limited time left. I want to talk about a handful of those things, but we got to grab our last break. So we'll do that when we come right back. We're gonna fill in the blocks. It's like this game of Tetris. How are we gonna build your American dream? We're gonna stack it up. We come right back. This is David Littlejohn and Katie Shuck. Yeah, True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. No, I promise it'll be okay. <laughs> so, all, all right, right you're going to unstack. No, like no, we're we're, we're building. Stack it up like stack, a game We're of building the American right. dream in the last few minutes here. I think this is going to be a multi part series. Also, I've requested feedback from our listeners. Uh, share the podcast. Let's get the word out because what I want to do is I'd really like to crowdsource some of this. I want to know from you all. So email to info at littlejohnfs.com. And I'd like to know things that are important in your American dream. Because what we're going to do is we're going to try to start to quantify some of this. And you're probably going to see this in the form of either articles or YouTube videos uh, and so forth about how do you do this on different budgets, right? So what's the American dream look like on one budget versus another? And how how do we break that down within a budget? Okay, so uh, the first one is, I think, some form of stable housing, whether you rent or not, is less of an issue to me. Uh, and, you know, there's somebody out there that's going to say, well, you know, some people want to be homeless. And I'm going to go, well, then that's their version of stable. OK, I don't think that's most of our American dream is that lifestyle. But for those that are, then they're they're living that dream, I guess. If I'm homeless, it's because I have so many homes that I don't ever actually 
sit in them at one time for very long. That would be interesting. <laughs> that's a different kind of homeless, though. <laughs> that's that's more like gypsy. Uh, totally okay with that, okay. right? Like, yep, we're going to have a home and just, you know, play roulette and hop so, to one every month. Okay, so uh, home stability, okay? Yeah, so home stability. And I would in, say job security. So I, I think that's, I don't think that's it. No? Now, I may just be sort of projecting from myself here, but job security, uh, it, it's if, if you have the capacity capacity to earn what you need to and you have the skill set then uh, I think maybe even job mobility is more important to some people they don't want to get stuck in a place where they're miserable no right? I I just meant job security like working for doing a job that you love working for a company that you love like not feeling like that's you... more like job satisfaction okay let's 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 title it job satisfaction yeah. then so so job satisfaction and and some of these are attitudinal in nature but I want to get to the stuff that's quantifiable okay so, what else um well, so there's there's recreation was the is the 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 biggie. So can you uh, clarify I, that a little bit more? Well, I think recreation is when the, spending the money on the stuff that you want to do. Okay. So I would say, like you know, we talked about everybody gets you know a couple weeks a year paid vacation, hopefully, but a couple weeks a year vacation, like actually going on a vacation. Like I hear people talk about it all the time. When I can afford it, I'll go on vacation somewhere. A vaca- like having an actual vacation yeah. to a destination somewhere every year. So. And then it, the rest of it is, so it's a matter of where you scale things. So we've got, here's some categories as they're broken down. I'll just do them quickly. Uh, a certain amount, and this is budgetary categories, by the way. So you've got giving and saving. You've got your food. You've got utilities. You've got housing and transportation, uh, health coverage, insurance, uh, recreation, personal spending, and then miscellaneous, which just sort of catches stuff in there. So uh, I think that the ones that people really care about are recreation, personal spending, and miscellaneous. And I think that they also, uh, within their living, their their housing, transportation, and food are elements that come up as uh, the parts that feel sort of discretionary. When you talk about health insurance and utilities, those are things that you have to do. You don't necessarily want to. Uh, savings is not necessarily what you've... Some people really just like playing the game of trying to save more, but savings is more like a means to an end. And in giving... Uh, that's a really mixed bag on this one. I think it's very important, though, right? And then people say, "Are you serious?" I mean, but yeah, I, I think it's very important. It's a it's an intangible reason in, to to a certain extent, but some of it's more tangible than you realize. Uh, people that give stay more engaged in their communities and so forth, and so by giving and being present, more opportunity finds you. Right. So hermits, right. hermits don't get found very much. <laughs> no, if you're hiding okay? under a rock. If you hide on purpose, it works. Well, and okay? I'd say giving too also keeps you balanced with your um, relationship with money. Yeah. I think I think it's important because money is it's money's not the thing that you collect. Okay. Money's the resource you trade your time for. It's uh you know, you can use it as a, a measurement or so forth. It's it's the exchange medium, but it's the money itself. If you're just trying to save, so you have a bigger number. You know, you hear these stories about people that amass huge wealth. They live almost to the point where they're so frugal that it's a hardship on them. And then when they die, they have all this money. And yeah, you go, and then it what? usually goes to heirs who spend Blow it all it, in like right? a week. <laughs> and you go, well, what was that? What was the what was, what the, was the point? Right? Yeah. So. Uh, when we try to build out the American dream, you know, so food, right? A couple, couple of concepts that we're going to start with. We'll have to unpack this in future shows more, but one of them is quality over quantity. 
I like this argument. Okay, quality over quantity, whether it is food or clothing. uh, Purses. Appreciate (laughs) the things that you have a lot. And then the other one is experience over stuff. Ooh, I like that one too. Okay. I have lots These of are two that. in the American dream that are really, really important to latch on to is quality over quantity and experiences have more value than stuff. Uh, there's so much research around this. We don't have time today to go into it, but the, the I experiences think that's a good are more topic valuable. for next week's show. So as we do we're gonna embark on this now, the series of the American dream. We'll unpack more of that. Thank you for tuning in today. I know the markets hijacked some of it, but hopefully you found some value. As always, if you uh, want to find us, they call at 541-375-0898. All right. Until next time, don't forget info at Little John FS to send us your American dream. Katie, thank you as always. Thank this you has for been having me. David Little John and Katie Shook. We got True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.